Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we conclude our series, Psalms of Refuge, with a message titled, When the Foundations Are Destroyed. So turning your Bibles to Psalm chapter 12, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. You might wonder about the title I've given to Psalm 12. I mean, those words, when the foundations are destroyed, well, they aren't found in Psalm 12, but in Psalm 11. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In Psalm 11, David knew even though his enemies seemed to have gained the upper hand, and even though it seemed that they would soon kill him, he could not flee. His position as king made it necessary for him to remain in office no matter how dangerous it was. For if the king went down, so did law and order, so did the stability of the nation, so did national defense. Once anarchy was permitted to reign, once the foundations were destroyed, human life would become cheap. What would the righteous then do? Well, if you listened to me yesterday, you heard me explain that. But now here in Psalm 12, David is describing a time when at least so it would seem, the foundations, if not completely destroyed, were greatly damaged, and the society itself was in danger of collapsing. And so Psalm 12, another Psalm of David, is also another Psalm that doesn't tell us at what time in his life David had written it. Was the Psalm written as some contend when David was fleeing from Saul? During that time, King Saul was poisoning the minds of people against David. Perhaps that was just the time. It's been pointed out that during that time, 1 Samuel 23, it records that the Philistines were fighting against the Israelite city of Kilah. David and his men fought against the Philistines and rescued the city. And then David decided to stay in the city, hoping they might provide protection against Saul, who was hunting him down. But the Lord himself warned David that the citizens of Kilah would promptly hand him over to Saul. And then shortly after that, David flees from Kilah, the Ziphites were, they were a subgroup of the tribe of Judah. David's own kinsmen went to Saul and informed on David, telling Saul exactly where David was hiding. Treachery, double dealing, constant intrigue was everywhere. Someone might be your friend one moment, but they might also stab you in the back and the next. Now, as I've said, we can't be exactly sure at what part in David's history he wrote Psalm 12. But Psalm 12 is the story when all the foundations fall. Reading the psalm causes us to reflect on what happens when the foundations of a society do fall. What happens when standards of morality are no longer upheld? What happens when the truth is no longer about objectivity? What happens when all we think about is my truth versus your truth? That's the kind of talk that's right now happening in our society. What happens when good and evil are no longer concepts that, that people believe in? What happens when good is no longer seen as a gift of God, but rather it's seen simply as a human construct? When these things happen, the foundations begin to shake. I hope you can see that Psalm 12 is not just about an event in David's life and are doing our best to you know, guess at what time he might have written it. Psalm 12 is a warning to any society it is the warning to leaders and to people. It's a warning to philosophers and thinkers who imagine that an assault on truth won't have massive societal implications. Psalm 12 is all about what happens when a culture begins to totter. But Psalm 12 is more than a warning. It's a prayer to God. 
It's a prayer for God's people during times of trouble. You know, when I read Psalm 12, I'm, I'm reminded of Paul's words to Timothy, found in 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. He wrote, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, rulers are called to not only keep the peace, but to work to create and maintain justice, truth, equity, maintain the good, punish the evil. And so we must pray earnestly for them, lest they become deluded, and every man and woman does what's right in his or her own eyes. So let's read through this whole psalm, because it's really not that very long. Psalm 12. It begins to the choir master according to Shimoneth. And by the way, I think that the word Shimoneth is an instruction that this song be sung by the basses. They give it a sober tone. That's what the heading says. You know, a Psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongues we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. You know, this psalm can be outlined into four parts. You know, verse one is the introduction of the opening prayer. Part two from verses two to four highlights one of the chief problems in the day of wickedness. It is called lies and slander. Part three, the darkness lifts and we're given hope in the Lord. And then part four, that's the promise. Dark days when the foundations are shaken will not go on forever. So let's start with part one. The introduction says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. And it's hard to grasp just how serious those words are. David is saying that loyal members of the covenant people of God have all but disappeared. Yeah, the Israelites are still there, but the faithful Israelites are gone. Jesus said of his own followers that we are salt of the earth. You know, the image is that we're a preservative against decay. And thinking in those terms leads me to a conclusion. What should happen if the faithful followers of Jesus simply disappear in our culture? Notice I'm not speaking about the visible church. I mean, we live in a day when there are visible churches who have a false gospel and who don't emphasize the cross and don't express the need of genuine heartfelt repentance. Churches that deny scriptural authority, churches that prefer personal words from God over against scripture, pulpits that don't faithfully exposit the word, leaders who are walking around in a spiritual fog. And then on top of all of that, key leaders are also found leading immoral lives. See, I can't begin to overstress the need for evangelism. I can't begin to overstress the need for Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, spirit-filled, godly churches throughout our land. Churches where Christ is regarded as holy and the gospel is earnestly taught as the only hope for a ruined humanity. When all of this vanishes from the land, human life becomes cheap. Politically correct ideology replaces morality, right and wrong. 
People are easily discarded rather than nurtured and prized. And so, whether it be the unborn in the womb or the elderly who need care, abortion and euthanasia take the place of value and worth. When the foundations crumble and the faithful are vanishing from the land, all that is left is to cry out, Save, O Lord! With that introduction, we come to part two. At the heart of all societal problems are the problems inherent in the tongue or in the messages we communicate. Verses 2 to 4, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. So let's start with the opening phrase, everyone lies to his neighbor. The word for lying here is the one who speaks deceit. That word can either mean that everyone deceives everyone else, or it can mean they conceal truth, or even that they misrepresent the truth. That is, they shade the truth. But the word also implies treachery. That is, there are other motives, dark ones, that accompany the lies that are spoken. Everyone is out for himself and says what they need to say to get what they want. Truth is not even considered. I mean, contrast that situation with Psalm 15, where David describes the one who may stand in God's presence. He gives a number of descriptions which include speaking the truth in his heart, and even that the person swears to his own hurt and does not change. That is, even when truth-telling or keeping your promises are harmful to you personally, you continue to do it nonetheless. Psalm 12, verse 2, replaces the words of the faithful with the words of the man or woman who flatters, since truth is already considered to be no more than a social construct. Words now become means or tools to be used to achieve advantage, and flattery is so successful. See, our culture today values flattery. It's amazing. Everyone is told they're a good person even when they're not. We're told that giving a bad grade to a student in school harms their self-esteem. And so even if they don't study or don't put in the effort required, they're still told that they're brilliant and that they're world changers. It's called flattery. And flattery is dangerous and deadly. It's a lie and it's manipulative. One of the reasons the concept of sin is hated in our society is because we've been raised on flattery. And oh, how we respond in anger whenever the customary flattery is absent. As time speeds by, it's even more important that we consider how we live. That's why I'm so grateful for friends like you who walk with us verse by verse through the Bible. The encouragement we received recently from Ruth reminds us of how precious this is. Dr. John's teachings are fascinating and really bring the Bible to life for me. I can almost visualize the scenes in my mind, like watching a movie when I listen to him. I usually listen to the radio program at work and end up going home and rereading the passage you spoke about that day, and every time I see it through different eyes. What a great way to use the time we've been given. With minds transformed by the washing of God's Word, we're given different eyes and God's own heart to see the world we live in. If you'd like to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
David moved from flattery to something far more sinister. You'll have noticed that verse 3 begins with a prayer, may the Lord cut off flattering lips. And here we begin to see that God himself hates flattery. Now, someone might ask, well, what's the difference between flattery and encouragement? Well, the answer is simple when you think about it. Flattery seeks to build someone up with statements that are untrue. We say, Johnny, you're the center of the universe. Albert Einstein would be humbled by your intellectual prowess. And Mozart would be green with envy as you try to play that squeaky violin. And and definitely Lionel Messi, the great soccer player, would be amazed at your exploits on the soccer pitch. Here's the horrifying truth. You know, the average person is average. (laughs) Does that sound devastating to you? Did you also know that 95% of us believe that we are above average IQ? (laughs) Flattery is only the beginning of our problem. Notice that the Lord is not only determined to cut off flattering lips, but he'll also cut off the person who makes great boasts. One of my favorite Bible passages about making great boasts comes from 1 Kings chapter 20. The king of Syria has just promised the king of Israel that if he doesn't do what he says, he's going to raise up such a strong army and destroy him and that there's going to be more powerful armed soldiers coming to destroy the king of Israel than there is dust in Israel's capital of Samaria. In other words, you don't stand a chance against me. And then comes the answer from the king of Israel. He says to the messengers from Syria, tell the king of Syria, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself like the one who takes it off. In other words, boastful words meant to incite intimidation are meant to gain advantage, but they mean nothing. You haven't accomplished a thing yet. And notice again the line that Psalm 12 verse 4, speaking of those who say, with our own tongue we will prevail. David is describing a society that's so broken where truth is now abandoned, where objective facts are not considered, and the only thing that now matters is who has the loudest mouth and who has the best ability to deceive and who can get what they want by flattery or by intimidation. When justice and righteousness is replaced by self-will, a kind of social Darwinism, where the strong and deceitful survive, the foundations have fallen. So are we at that point in our society? I don't think we are yet but there are troubling trends. When university students rally to prevent an unpopular point of view from being expressed on campus, free speech, irenic dialogue about the truth is replaced by threatening mobs. When news media can no longer be trusted because they express only one perspective and never allow their viewpoint to be challenged and no discussion of truth is ever considered, we're in danger. And when churches no longer speak about God's truth, but only speak about helping you become all that you can be, a tremor runs through the culture. So what's wrong with all of this? Let's go to the third section of the psalm, which is a part where the darkness lifts and hope is presented. But notice also that in this section, we're forced to see what happens when truth is replaced by a lying tongue, verses 5 and 6. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. We notice that the words, because the poor are plundered, begins this section. The conclusion to a society when lying lips prevail is that most helpless members of society groan. You know, some have wondered whether passages like this should be taken to condemn, you know, the present capitalistic economy. I mean, after all, at least so the line goes, capitalism allows only the strongest to prevail and the rest end up in squalor and are groaning. 
But that would be true if the form of capitalism that's adopted is a Darwinian capitalism. But at least historically in the Western world, capitalism was never an unrestrained law of the jungle. Yeah, there were times when it surely appeared that way, but strong laws were put into effect demanding universal education, providing the poor with opportunities to advance. It's not just that these things are good, it's because God demands them. Wherever the poor are constantly poor and there is no means of gaining justice, we have the kind of society that's being portrayed here. But the safeguard against that kind of scenario that Psalm 12 describes begins with the word, I will now arise. God is now speaking, and he speaks on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. Read through the Old Testament, and you're going to hear a refrain that's constantly repeated. Proverbs 14:31: whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Isaiah 58, 6-8. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God demands that the poor should not be forgotten. Jesus spoke about the poor frequently. Matthew 25, speaking about those who will receive the eternal kingdom, the king says to them, Come, you were blessed by my father. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. See, Jesus demands that his followers care for the poor. And getting back to the capitalism in the Western world, I mean, the reason capitalism in the West did not become social Darwinism is because of the influence of the Christian faith. Yeah, the Christians said we are our brother's keeper. Yeah, even when someone has fallen because of their own neglect and their own sin, we're still obligated to be agents of mercy. Do you see, that's where we started our study. We made a note that when the godly disappear from the land, then the foundations tremble, and now we learn that in the end the poor are crushed. There are Christian agencies who dedicate their ministry to the poor. Those who do it well ought to be supported. And furthermore, there are many Christian churches who take care of the poor as an essential part of their ministry. And even beyond that, one of the marks of a Christian politician is his or her just and righteous concern that justice and a means of redemption be given to the poor. But then after implying all of that, Psalm 12 verse 6 says that the words of the Lord are pure words. How is it that in this discussion of the shaking of the foundations of society do we suddenly come to the supremacy of the Word of God? And I think the answer is that the only hope of any civilization is the faithful hearing, preaching, and study, and obedience of the Word of God. As hearing of the Word of God grows, so do the foundations of society. When I put it that way, I don't mean to imply that the Bible should be preached in order to produce a good society. Well, that would be a kind of an idolatry. Rather, the Bible should be preached so that God is glorified, that men and women are converted to Christ and reconciled to God. But the preaching of the Bible does have spin-offs, doesn't it? It does build a culture that values truth and compassion and mercy and righteousness. Now then we come to the conclusion of our psalm, and I'm rereading verses 7 and 8. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. 
So you'll notice that this psalm doesn't end by promising a given society will not collapse. Many civilizations have come and gone. The present order, that is, the post-World War II world, it seems to be now drawing to a close. And since I'm not a prophet, I don't know what comes next. But our passage makes an ironclad promise to the righteous. You, O Lord, will keep watch over the righteous as they suffer oppression. Even when the wicked seem to have their way, God will always undertake on behalf of his people. Countless stories have been told in history of just such righteous acts of God. Take heart in God. And then, with that promise given, the psalm ends on what some of us would think to be a downer. We end the psalm with a picture of the wicked continuing to prowl and look for prey, where evil and depravity are dignified and promoted. But that's not a downer. That's a reality in the fallen world. That's the state of affairs that will continue to wax and wane until Jesus returns the second time. But the righteous are not pessimistic, for they have the assurance that they are being upheld by God. The righteous must therefore continue to pray. They must continue to preach. They must continue to minister to the downtrodden. They must continue to win souls to Christ. They must continue to build robust churches and they must continue to fully put their hope in God. When the social forces are for us, or when the social forces are against us, we will continue to act in just such a way. For we know that God watches over his word, and he also watches over his children. We take hope. John, thanks for an insightful series, but let me ask you this. As we come to the end, is there anything you've personally discovered about the Psalms? Yeah, you know, Ben, I think some of the listeners are going to be surprised to hear me say this, but I've actually never preached through the Psalms, you know, one and then the next one and then the next one. You know, in my preaching of Psalms, I've targeted a given Psalm, but doing it this way has helped me to see for the first time, Ben, that uh, these Psalms actually, one relates to the next, to the next, to the next, and it's very helpful to follow them through one after another. And then those psalms that seem repetitive uh, are not repetitive at all. They're like, you know, looking at the same situation from a different angle so that we can get the entire perspective of what God wants us to see, especially in this case. You know, David is constantly under assault by his enemies. But the psalm helps us to understand every difficult situation from a new perspective. That's helpful. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our in-depth study of the Bible right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld, hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. Last September, people from right across Canada attended online in their offices, homes, on their computers, or even their phones. It was so encouraging celebrating our common passion for the Bible and the significance of teaching biblical truths to a new generation. More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly ministry email update while you're there. 
or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.